Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk today about the mysteries of God. We may put together a whole series on the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And they're really not such mysteries. They're available. The information is available. The knowledge, the understanding is available. But it's available in the spiritual realm. And most people don't live in the spiritual realm. They live in the physical realm alone. They have fallen to the physical realm. They have fallen to lusts and envies and ego and all sorts of things that keep them from understanding the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is first spiritual. And then that spiritual realm brought into existence a physical realm in which we live. And we've done a show already on the veil and the mysteries and the the membrane of the kingdom, so to speak, and the membranes of hell. And those of you who have heard it probably know what I'm talking about. And those that have not, it may still be remaining a mystery. But... This series, uh, I put together a series of notes to cover this, and I did it while listening to an audio interview of someone I've known for years who has a certain view of the problems of the world. And while he is, is very close to the kingdom in many ways, there's some things he seems to be missing. And in the course of this series, hopefully we will cover that because if he's not seeing it, there's probably a lot of other people not seeing it. And so by talking about it and sharing information and bearing witness to what we see that we believe others are missing, we may help them see what they don't see presently. But the fact is to see, to understand truly, it means that you have to awaken spiritually because you have to see with spiritual eyes cannot find your way back to the tree of life by eating more of the tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge, eating of that, is what brought you down and away from the tree of life. The realization of your error, your egotistical, selfish error, is what has driven you, the the refusal to realize, has driven you from the garden. Because you hid, and and God brought a light to show you what you have done. You fled the garden. God's not trying to keep you out. But you cannot return unless you see your error. And so we're going to kind of beat around the bush a little bit here. And hopefully you'll take notice of some of these things. And you'll you'll get a better perspective on what you've been missing. So anyway, one thing, let's get out of the way. Ego, ego, the I or self of any person, a person, a thinking, feeling, willing, and distinguishing itself from the selves of others and other objects of its thoughts. It's all out of the tree of knowledge, this ego thing. The self, distinguishing from others. Well, in the communion with Christ and with the Father, 
we do not distinguish ourselves so much from others. We are separate individuals, but we are also a collective, but by choice, not a collective by compulsion or force. A collective because we have a common source of understanding, which we call the tree of life or the Holy Spirit or God the Father or whatever. It is a common source, the existing one. I am that I am. I had a discussion just the other day with somebody about the name thing. And we have an article up on that. What's in a name? And people think, well, God's name is Yahweh or Yadevahe or Jehovah. or You know, it's a particular pronunciation coming out of your mouth. And the reality is, is there is no pronunciation coming out of your mouth that resembles God's name. Because he doesn't have a name. He has no need for an ID card, a passport, a driver's license, or any of those things. So there's no reason to spell out his name. We write down things to as symbols of ideas. And God is who God is. He is the existing one. I am that I am. He doesn't need a name. But we give him names to identify his character, who he is, what kind of the... Uh, of a persona is God. You know, and we, we call him the creator because by nature he creates. We, we can call him the forgiver because he also forgives. We can call him the great ruler or judge because he does judge. So all these, but these are just aspects to his character and so therefore we name him. He does not need a name. And he doesn't have a name, but he has an identity. And when you have his name written in your heart, it means that you are in union with his identity, his character. And in that sense, your ego is gone. The thing that makes you so much different than everybody else, most of what we call ego is gone because you're you're not distinguishing yourself from God. You're conforming to the character of God. And so in that, on all those senses of the character of God, you are not distinguished from anybody else. You may still have an ego, a self, an identity that is separate from others, but in the essential elements of God, you are the same. And so ego in itself... It's not a problem. It's the kind of ego. See, if you want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and refuse to see the error of that way, the proud, arrogant, selfish error of that way, and I don't want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I want to eat only of the tree of life and conform to the character of God, then your ego comes in conflict with my ego. The presence of my ego would bother your ego. Because I would bring with me the light that you have refused to see. And you would want to flee me or destroy me the same as you fled the garden. Now, I'm using some mixing of metaphors here so that you can see. Ego isn't the problem. It's whose ego, who constructed the ego, how is the ego constructed? Is it constructed out of pride and selfishness, arrogance, or is it, is it simply the identity that God gave you within the bounds of His own character, made in the image of God, you see? 
when your ego is made in the image of God, you still may be you, but the conformity of your ego to God being made in that image is the same. When your ego is remade by the tree of knowledge in the world and the flesh and the devil, then there's a problem. So anyway, keep that in mind that when you go out of the presence of God and do contrary to the ways of God, you become separate from God and therefore the thing that makes you unique, your ego, is going to be in conflict with God and all those that are in conformity with God. Another word that it popped up in the course of listening to the interview was psychoanalysis, the part of the psychic apparatus that experiences and reacts to the outside world and thus mediates between the primitive drives of the id, the the ego again, and the demands of the social and physical environment. So this this mental apparatus of experience that reacts to the outside world and thus uh, mediates between the primitive drives, you know, your your instincts and and emotional drives, etc., and the demands of social and physical environment. And that the social environment may include civil society. So, in some sense, you know, that's part of that ego definition. So, I was just a continuation of that because you have what we call uh, corporeal and incorporeal uh, hereditaments of personality. And that would mean your rights and obligations and those emotional id drives, etc. So, anyway, when you eat of the tree of knowledge and decide for yourself what is right and wrong, you may incorporate yourself in civil society with a social compact. And that social compact may be written, or it may be a binding according to the laws of nature and nature's God. In other words, you can construct a contract that is not written where you create obligations by your actions. And in that case, now your ego becomes attached to civil society. And you are recreated. Your corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality are recreated. In other words, your obligations and responsibilities are reestablished by these contracts whether constructive or executed. I'll give you an example. People think, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it's not a written contract and all this stuff, it doesn't exist. Well, that's not true. Common law marriage, for instance, where's the written contract? You don't need a written contract with common law marriage. You need to set up housekeeping and present yourself as husband and wife in society by your actions, but it's not a written contract. As a matter of fact, the mere definition of common law contract uh, marriage is a marriage that is not solemnized. In other words, not solemnized by a open, written or spoken contract. It's just assumed. It's constructive. So such contracts are real. And that's just one example. We can go through hundreds and hundreds of examples. 
but we'll we'll never get to any of this topic if we we lollygag there. But that's an important premise to understand that you can make contracts that are binding in law, based on the law of nature, by your actions. Very important to understand that and to keep that in your mind. If there is a physical ego, there must also be a spiritual ego. Just like there's physical DNA, there also is a spiritual DNA. DNA is uh, deoxyribonucleic acid, and that is what they call those strands and the double helix that creates your DNA, that creates the body that you have. I mean, there's a DNA binding between a man and a woman in the womb of a woman, and that DNA begins to create from one or two cells, really, uh, forming, you know, combining and forming one cell, ends up splitting and dividing and splitting and dividing and makes livers and fingers and fingernails and hair and teeth and and a body that comes out like a baby, all from that one cell based on the DNA. You are made in the image of your mother and your father combined together. Well, there's a spiritual DNA also that created you. It's not deoxyribonucleic acid, but it's the image of the deity, the character of the deity. And somehow he forms you according to that spiritual DNA. When you ate of the tree of knowledge, and in vanity you turned your back on the ways of God and did not eat of the tree of life, your DNA, spiritual DNA, was altered. Some aspects, some of the chain links of your spiritual DNA were clipped out or denied or turned away from or your eyes were shut to and you were beginning the process of being made in a new image. In Matthew twenty four twenty four, we see, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And that, of course, is already taking place. That false teachers have told you certain things are true. That became a part of your knowledge base, because you received that through the tree of knowledge. But you did not have the spiritual consciousness to see the error of that way, and you were deceived. But evidently, there are some people that are elected to be, uh, to have sight to see, and they are given sight to see, and they may see these things, and you may not. And that doesn't mean that you can't come to a time when you do see them. And hopefully, in the course of the show, you will get to that point where you begin to see that that which you have not seen before. Now, in the uh, interview broadcast, he read some of the stanzas of My Country, Tis of Thee, Sweet Land of Liberty, of Thee I Sing, and he read uh, recited from memory one of the uh, verses, one of the, I think, the last verse, our Father's God to thee, another author of liberty, to thee we sing. So he's referring to God of our Father as the author of liberty. Long may our 
land be bright with freedom, holy light, freedom's holy light, protect us by thy might, great God, our King. Well, the reality is, is what is liberty? And one of the words that they translate into liberty in the Bible is the Greek word excusia. But they also translate that word into the word right. And they also translate that word into the word power. It means the right to choose, according to theirs. And according to Aristotle, it means the absolute right to choose. Stronger than the normal word for liberty in the Greek language, which is eleutheria. Now, that word, author of liberty, if we were to translate that into Greek, we might put the word there, author of excusia. And excusia is seen in the Bible in Romans 13, where Paul says, and we could tra- that word is translated liberty elsewhere in the Bible, but in this verse he translate, we trans- our, our, our translators translate it power. But it means the power of choice, the right to choose. And he says, let every man be subject to the higher liberty, because all liberty is of God, and there be no liberty but of God, and anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. So that reference in Paul is referring to the author of liberty, because there is no liberty but of God. All liberty came by way of God. All our rights to choose. Now, we can choose lots of things. We can choose to make contracts. We can choose to make social compacts, covenants, constitutions. And we will be bound by them. And if we are enriched by those contracts, we may be perpetually bound by them. If we are brought into debt by those contracts, we may be perpetually bound. And we cannot sever the ties which have connected us to government without paying that debt. Now, this is a very important thing to understand. Even in the American uh, Constitution, which actually had a copy of it sitting here a little while ago, but I don't think I have it in front of me at this time. But uh, anyway, most of you you can look it up. That uh, They did not do away with any debts that the United States might owe. The people didn't owe any major debts at that time, but the people, uh, although I'm sure there were some, uh, the fact is the crown was greatly in debt. That's how Pennsylvania came about, is that the crown was in debt to a, uh, to a man named Pennington, and he had a son who became known as William Penn, and William Penn waived uh, the debt that the king owed him in exchange for the rights to Pennsylvania. And that's an interesting concept in itself, but we won't go into that. Revelation talks about, in verse 15, and and Revelation is something, everybody's always interested in Revelation because that's revealing mysteries, and we're going to reveal the real mysteries. But in Revelations, one of the mysteries is, in chapter 15, verse 3, it says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just 
and true are thy ways, thou king of saints. So the apostles referred to Jesus as their king. They said there is another king, one Caesar. And they're talking here in Revelations about them singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And Moses freed the people from the bondage of Egypt. And Jesus didn't come to bring them back into the bondage of Egypt. But the modern church has brought all the people back into the bondage of Egypt. And there seems to be some debate, and this is the part that we want to eventually clear up here. There seems to be some debate as to how we were brought into bondage. Whose fault is it that we were brought into bondage? Whose fault was it that Israel was brought into bondage in Egypt? God provided that they go into bondage, but why? Did they not sell their own brother into bondage out of jealousy and envy? Have we done the same? Because they sold their brother into bondage. They themselves went into bondage. They were jealous and envious of their brother and the wealth of their brother who had the coat of many colors because the brother was put over them, was richer by the blessings of his father. And they were jealous of that, so they were going to sell him into bondage. So they themselves went into bondage. Have you done the same thing? Well, the fact is, Americans all across the country, Christian Americans, people who think they're Christians at least, go to church. Ministers who think they're Christians, who go to church, who think they believe in Jesus, have done exactly that. They have sold their brother into bondage out of envy and jealousy. Now, where would they have done that at? How would they have done that? Well, I can tell you. It's really very simple. Anyone, anyone in this whole country, in the whole world, who says society has needs, there are needy in society, there are poor in society, and they have needs, they are downtrodden, they have become sick, they become injured, whatever... There are some that have needs. I don't care how legitimate the needs are. But the people who say, tax the rich to provide those needs are selling their brothers into bondage out of envy and jealousy and greed. And they themselves should go into bondage Because of that. Now, I have no particular love for the rich, no uniquely, overly love for the rich, any more than I love the poor. But I know that if I will put the rich into bondage where they have to pay a portion of what they earn to take care of the needy of society, I am coveting his goods. I am selling him into bondage by the authority of the government no matter how good the cause, and I myself should go into bondage if I do that. And that's exactly where you've gone. And we're going to show you that it is your fault you're in bondage today, and that you cannot dissolve the bands that have connected you with another, like early Americans did, because you have gone down another road 
quite the opposite of what early Americans were doing a couple hundred years ago. You have done just the opposite of what they have done. And therefore, you have no right to freedom. You have no right to liberty. And you should be under tribute. But, we're also going to show you how you can repent, turn around, and be free people again. But we're going to do it the right way. The righteous way of Christ. We'll be right back and reveal more of the mysteries of the kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we're talking about uh, our uh, our liberties and why we lost those liberties and how we can get them back. And we can't just get them back by pretending that we haven't done anything wrong. We have to be willing to look at what we've done wrong and turn around and go back another way. And one of the things he talks about is our conversation in the world. And in Second Corinthians one twelve, he says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversations in the world. And more abundantly to you, wards, towards you is what he's saying. So what is he, what is he talking about there in, Second um, Corinthians 1.12? And if we go back to that verse, uh, we'll see, uh, certain words that are being used in there. The, the word conversation is, uh, anastrepo. And uh, But the word world there means constitutional order or system of government. That's actually what it means. And there's five different ones that are in the Greek. And so it's always good to find out which one is which uh, when we're looking these words up. And that word conversation is commonly translated conversation. It's not the only word we see showing up as conversation because if you look in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 we see for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ that word conversation is polituma which comes from the Greek word uh, it actually means the administration of civil affairs or of the Commonwealth, uh, the Constitution of the Commonwealth, from a form of government. It means state or Commonwealth. And there, Paul is saying, for our conversation, our Commonwealth, our state, is in heaven, from whence all we look for, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that's quite a bit different. And like I said, that's from a Greek word, which means citizen, to be a citizen. And we find that word elsewhere in the Bible, used also by Paul. It's, it's in Acts, where uh, he says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men, brethren, 
I have lived. And that that word there actually means citizen. I have a citizen in all goods conscience before God until this day. He also uses it in Philippians, only let your conversation be, and that's the word citizen, your citizenship, as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. What affairs? The affairs of the kingdom of God. This is what Christ was preaching, the kingdom of God at hand. A government of God that was operating by faith, hope, and charity. That he talks about standing fast, one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith. The word faith could be translated allegiance. It is a common word that we should understand as allegiance. Because it has to do not only with what you think, but with what you do. And your allegiance is, if to God, means that you will also be serving God accordingly. And you serve God by serving one another, by loving one another, by taking care of one another. So, when you understand that God was preaching us from the beginning about being a government under God, under His authority doing and acting as citizens with our conversation with God, it puts a whole new light on the gospel that you do not get in the modern churches. But this, the individual who was talking in this interview was talking about our conversation. And uh, there's a lot of other places where we see the word conversation show up in 1 Peter 1.15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So we need to be holy in our conversation, whether we're dealing with uh, in the trope or in the polytumai citizenship in, in what we do and what we do and say, having your conversation honest amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of your visitation, in the day of your difficulties. I can go on to many other places where you use this word conversation, I can tell you this, that when the early Christians who were cast out of the social welfare system of Herod, because they got the baptism of Christ instead of the baptism of Herod, in other words, they were now signing up for the welfare system of Christ instead of the welfare system of Herod, where the welfare system of Herod worked by compelled offerings, which was the Corbin that made the word of God to none effect, and the welfare system of Christ was uh, provided by faith, hope, and charity by your brethren who loved you as themselves and took care of you and, and fed you when you had true needs. You would begin to understand more of what it means to seek the kingdom of God. If you want to be free, you must set your brothers free, including the rich. You must stop applying for the welfare at the expense of the rich or now at the expense of the middle class who pay more of it than the rich. The rich 
should pay into the welfare of the people. But the people need to come together. And this is what's really interesting. What made Rome great is the people learned how to come together and work together. And they did it through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We see the Teutons using and everybody else. But they had the hearse, what they call hearse, H-E-A-R-T-H. And they gathered together in these groups. And they took care of their social welfare. And that created the bonds of society through those local groups. And those local groups connected each other through a network of a priest class chosen by the people from the bottom up to serve the welfare of the needs of society. And this created the bonds of society because it was a personal welfare, personal giving, and it it made people learn to care about one another and it also regulated the charity of society so that if someone was acting in a way that was not good for society, they were they were not staying married, they were whoring around or whatever it was, you weren't going to be supporting that. At least not in the same way. You you weren't you weren't going to care about the lazy, slothful, drunken bums who needed welfare. You you're just you you might give them a few bucks now and then, but you're not going to be providing a comfortable living for those people who are too lazy to take care of themselves. It's just not going to happen in a society where you are actually aware of how your welfare is spent because it's done through local congregations of, and the ministers are answerable to the people because those ministers, those priests class, are public servants of the people. When they are the servants of the king, they become divorced from society because they are only answerable to the king. They are not answerable to you. And so they'll just say, next, if you give them any trouble, <laughs> you'll be out on a limb. And they don't really, they're not really bound by the same moral code you should be bound by. They are, their moral code often drifts away because they've already left one of the uh, prerequisites of a moral code which they think it's okay to covet their neighbor's goods if he's rich or if he's richer than them. And we're going to go through a lot of things in the Bible that tell us not to go that way. But we're going to do it one at a time. Right now we're going to go on to the kingdom of God is within you. So this character, this singing of the author of liberty has to be within you, so you have to be willing to set others free. And stop coveting your neighbor's goods. Stop wanting to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And you say, well, I paid in, forgive that debt. That that all went to help out the needy anyway when you were, you were uh, uh, paying in. And you don't get that back. That was your cashing your bread upon the altars of civil society in hopes that it would come back to you. For many of you, it will never come back anyway. But if you want to be free, you have to set other men free. So you cannot hold other men to pay for your welfare now by those benefactors who exercise authority and still obtain your liberty. You must turn around and go the way of the early church. Start taking care of the needy of that society by faith, hope, and charity. God is truth. 
the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What is that? If is the kingdom of truth? Is it is the kingdom of God the realm of truth or not? I mean, is that what you see the kingdom of God as? Well, the truth is, you've coveted your neighbor's goods, and therefore you should be in bondage. And we're going to show you several ways that this comes about. If is everywhere else that is not truth, is that also not the kingdom of God? Okay, anywhere there's a lie, anywhere there's something that's dishonest, that cannot be the kingdom of God. That must be something contrary to the kingdom of God. And we're supposed to be seeking. If you want answers to all your problems, you need to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now that, and everything else will be provided. You want freedom? You need to do that. But now we're going to explain what that means. In Genesis 4.16 we see, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod and in Eden, east of Eden. He also took two wives and he, he created the first city-state. That's what he was doing. Uh, he was creating this this first city-state by going out of the presence of God. Now that word presence of God is uh, translated a lot of different ways. Uh, about a thousand times it's translated before. He went out from before God. And we see the word uh, in and Nimrod uh, was a mighty hunter before the Lord. It's also translated about 390 times face. Uh, only about 76 times it's translated presence. It's also translated because. It's translated sight, countenance, from, person, upon. I mean, it's just it's dozens and dozens of other ways that it was translated. But the point is, is Cain didn't do this under the auspices of God. He had to go out of the presence of God, outside of the face of God, out from before God. He went out on his own. And he started a city-state. And how did he do it? With a social compact. He got people to make covenants with him and make him the ruling judge of their society. And that's how it always is. That's the way you create a civil society, is by a social compact. Whereby you take some of your rights, some of your liberties, that God is the author of your liberties. But you took some of your liberties and you contracted them away. In other words, you said, you can make these choices for me. And a lot of times there are very small amount of choices you give them, like when they elected King Saul. He, had, he was in charge of setting up the army. For national defense. He was the commander-in-chief. And that's what they elected him to be. the commander-in-chief. Now later on those powers expanded. How did they expand? How did the powers of your government expand? Did they just take over? No. They did not just take over. Was it it when they uh, gave the power of making Federal Reserve notes to the Federal Reserve? Is that where you lost your freedom? Was it when you became a beneficiary of a social welfare system in 1933, 1935 under Social Security? Is that where you lost your freedom? Well, all those things were contributors, but where do you really lose your freedom? Where is it that you become blind to what made you a free people, 
and then listen to false teachers and go back into bondage. Wherever people are close to the truth, they do not need government. When I say the word government, they do not need an external centralized authority as government. Government always exists. The rights that government has existed before government existed. They just existed in the hands of the people. If you study Roman history, in which you'll, you'll come across in some of our books, you'll see that the potestas, the power of government, the imperium, the power of an imperial government, originally was in the hands of the pater familia, which was the head of every family. But when the pater familia became the emperor, the patronus, who became the pater familia of the nation, then he had the imperium, and he had the potestas, the power of the father. He didn't create more power, it's just the power shifted from one class of citizen to another class of citizen called the emperor. And that's that's what's happened everywhere you see government having more and more power is that the power has been moved out of the hands of the individual back into the hands or into the hands of a centralized authority. How do we move it back to where it originally was, that higher liberty, that original liberty, because that was of God originally? That's the question. And that's where we're going to go with this study. We're going to take it little bit by little bit. And I'm going to have to repeat myself, because a lot of you have never heard this before. And you, and you, you can't imagine that this is the case, because you are so deluded by your modern churches and your modern schools that you don't know how government's come into being or how what the Bible is even talking about because the Bible's talking about the government every time you turn around. Those who want to rule, regulate, and control are the people who do not really give life. They want to control life. They don't want to give it. They don't want to give you your rights back. They want to control your rights, control your liberties, control your choices. They want to make choices for you. They are a part of what we call the Cain Syndrome. And we've got several shows on that that you can listen to. They are going out of the presence of God because they want to rule over their neighbor instead of let God rule over their neighbor. They are getting farther and farther from the truth. And they are not cooperating with God, but they are incorporating with the mind of Cain, who thinks it's good to regulate, rule, and control your neighbor. They often do this by nonviolent incorporation. They offer you benefits where you are brought into a system through a social compact that may be written. Parts of it may be written. Parts of it may not be written. Parts of it may be based on the law of nature and nature's God. It, this is why we have, and, and we'll go through it in more detail, but it tells you in Proverbs, if you put a knife to your throat, if you be a man of appetite and you sit and eat with a ruler, because he serves deceitful meats, dainties, that will, that should have been for your welfare, but will become a snare, as David says. And Proverbs warns you and 
and we'll show you lots of places in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Micah and all these places warn you. And even Peter warned you through covetousness, he will make merchandise of you. Even if it, you're only coveting the goods of the rich, you're still going to be made merchandise. And this is, it is not government's fault that you have been so concupiscent, so lustful after the dainties of the king. They're responsible for offering it to you, sure. But you're responsible for eating at that table, knowing it was set by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority at the expense of your neighbor. Did you go to public school? Guilty. Have you ever called the uh, municipal police to protect your property? Guilty. You know, maybe not in every case, but show signs of being guilty. <laughs> anyway. Nonviolent confrontation is what this individual was advocating. He's talking about not cooperating. Not cooperating because he says government has lost its authority. Is that where Christ started? Is that what Christ said? You guys, stop cooperating with it. No, he says, do what they say, but not as they do. They sit in the seat of Moses. Do what they say. Now, you put them in the seat of Moses. You put them in the seat of Saul. Do what they say, but not as they do. This is what Christ said. So, if we're going to listen to Christ, you better better think about that. He didn't talk about nonviolent confrontation. He talked about righteousness. Is there something we should be doing first or simultaneously with going the ways of Christ and seeking the freedom and liberty under Christ? There is a delusion that the people are sovereign. Sovereign is someone who makes law. God made the law. We're not sovereign. We should never have been sovereign. God makes the law. We conform to His law or we become sovereign and make our own law. Which is called sin. <laughs> called, called going out of the presence of God and, and is following the Cain syndrome. There is a lot of confused premises that the people establish the government. And how people establish the government. The people are supposed to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Now, there was mention of the 19th, uh, Ninth Amendment and Tenth Amendment, which are a part of the Bill of Rights, which are an extension of the Constitution of the United States. Protection of rights, not specifically enumerated in the Constitution, is the Ninth Amendment that says the enumeration of in the Constitution, of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So there were a lot of rights retained by the people, retained by the people from the states themselves. They had rights because the states were republics. And republics comes from the Latin idiom libera publica, which means free from things public. People were Pretty free. It wasn't a pure republic in these states, but it was a lot closer to the opportunity of liberty for the individual than almost any other form of government in the last uh, two millennia. 
Well, last millennium anyway. But anyway, the people retain that right. If if they're referring to rights retained by the people, then we must realize that the people, inalienable or not, may do something that would make it so they were not retaining their rights. They can get you, you your inalienable rights still exist if you sign a contract with the government giving the government the right to choose for you concerning those inalienable rights. You know, like if you have the right, an inalienable right to marry whomever you please after you get permission from your father or after your father dies. You know, if that person is free to marry, you're free to marry them. The freedom of contract. But if you go to the state and you say, if you give me this welfare and you give me this free education and you give me these food stamps and you give me all these things, you get to decide who I'm going to marry. Now, the state has the right to decide for you. The inalienable right still exists. It's just someone else has the liberty of choice on your behalf. You see how that works? Now, we're going to get more and more into this and show you how we have screwed up in the next show on Keys to the Kingdom. Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're talking about the kingdom of God, and specifically the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the things that people seem to have missed. I mean, that's actually why we should spell that mystery, M-I-S-S, because these are the things that you missed. It's a mystery to me why you missed them. <laughs> uh, it's actually not. I understand. Uh, you, If you go out of the way of God, out of the presence of God, and we talked about this in the last show, out of the face of God, then you can't see his face. If you can't see his face, you can't see his identity. You can't see his identity. You can't understand his nature. And therefore, you have scales over your eyes, and you can be misled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. You can be, you can be controlled and manipulated to make 
choices, openly make choices that you are responsible for and create obligations that you are subject to because you did not see is true, but you did not see because of a choice you made earlier. It's like the drunk driver. The drunk driver, can you hold the drunk driver responsible for running over somebody when he was so drunk he couldn't even see straight? Yes, because he chose to get drunk. And now he's responsible for his actions because he chose to diminish his capacity. And we choose to diminish our capacity to see the truth when we deny the truth. And in the Bible... They tell a story of us choosing to decide for ourselves what was right and wrong, realizing that was a big mistake, and not confessing that error, but hiding from the truth of that. And we are still hiding to this very day, afraid to come into the light and see the truth of our own actions. So therefore, we will go around saying things like, it's the government's fault the world is in the state that it's in today, when it's actually our fault. You know, it's it's not my fault. It's the liquor I've been drinking. <laughs> well, you chose to drink the liquor. You are responsible. So anyway, we were talking in the last show about the Ninth Amendment that says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Now, the Constitution didn't have anything to do with the rights of the people. They're not, the enumination of rights in the Constitution are rights of government, granted to the federal government by the individual republics that we call states. They created the Constitution. It wasn't ratified by the people. It was ratified by the states. It wasn't even legally ratified, but it's there, and they have agreed to it. And they have more than agreed to it because they have been taking benefits based on its uh, power to exercise authority. And therefore, they have given it more and more power until it's become like a beast that devours who its wills, and they can't control it anymore. But it had nothing to do with we the people. That's the people who signed it and eventually ratified it. And it had nothing to do with the average American living on this land in fee simple, uh, becoming an un, uh, a, t- uh, a tough nut for any uh, royal power to crack. Those people had developed a sense of rugged independence and often using a system of tens, hundreds, and thousands, and and their own churches and their free will offerings took care of all the needy of their society, took care of themselves, built their roads, uh, defended themselves against uh, invasion, and simply took care of the needs of their society through faith, hope, and charity, and mutual effort as communities. That They did all that. And then when the king came along, who hadn't been doing anything, said, I'm going to put all kinds of taxes and limitations. You can only sell to me. He was treating them like subjects. We were free men. A third of the people actually owned their own land and could not be taxed. 30% of the people owned their own land. Nobody in America owns their own land today. 
How did that come about? You don't even know that you don't own your own land, even though we can show you in, in Law versus Legal. You can The audio's on that. The book is on that. The Covenants of the Gods explain that. You don't own your land. You have a legal title that doesn't include ownership. doesn't include the beneficial interest or the right to use the property. You pay $400,000 for a piece of property, you don't have any right to use it. Unless you pay the use tax. If you pay the use tax, you get to use it. You stop paying the use tax, you don't get to use it anymore. And they'll sell it to somebody else. Sell the legal title to somebody else who will pay the use tax. It's simple. You don't own it. That's the law. I'm not making this up. If you didn't, you go, we're not going to go off on that tangent. But go study that. The point is, those people retained rights that they had established by what they were doing. And the Constitution didn't take any of those rights away. And they're saying that in the Ninth Amendment. Now, those rights don't exist for most Americans today. Those rights that they were retaining, because most Americans have not retained their rights. Why not? Because they were slothful. And a lot of other reasons. And we'll get into some of those. The Tenth Amendment says, dealing with the powers of the states and people, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution. See, that's what the Constitution was doing, is delegating rights to the people. I mean, to the people of the United States, which would be the employees of the United States. All those workers there, you know, congressmen, senators, presidents. He was delegating, because you don't delegate it to a piece of paper. You're delegating to people that are taking the offices of the United States. By the Constitution, that's what it was doing. Nor prohibited by it to the states. In other words, there were some things the states couldn't do are reserved, so any rights not mentioned in the Constitution, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. So that's very important to understand, that any rights not granted to the United States uh, by the United States Constitution to the bureaucrats, public employees of the United States, are reserved to the states or to the people. But... How how did that all come about? There are some rights listed in there, such as your right to contract. They can't prohibit your right to contract. So you can go and make contracts that give somebody else the right to decide for you what you're going to do. You know, that's just the way it is. You can you can give them the right to make this marriage, civil marriage. Is a contract between you, your spouse, and the state, where now the state has a right to decide certain aspects of your relationship with your wife. If she sues for a divorce or you sue her for divorce, the state can come in and separate the products of your marriage, the children, the finances, the house, the pensions, and give some to one spouse and give some to the other. They already have that jurisdiction. You gave it to them when you went and signed a civil contract with them. And they spelled out what they were going to do in codes and statutes, reserving the right to change those codes and statutes as the years go on. You still have the right to marry, but you have restricted the choices. You have given the choices concerning your right to marry and be married and stay married to somebody else by contract. 
The right still exists. It's just somebody else has first right to decide on your behalf. And that's the courts. And they do it on a regular basis. And you're surprised when they have so much power. And you think it's unfair. Well, you gave them the power. Maybe you should have done something so that you wouldn't give them the power. Another matter. The point is, is if you don't retain your rights, you're not going to have the right to decide anymore. If you give the right to somebody else, if you sell your right to decide in exchange for a pot of benefits, and I'm using certain words here, a pot of benefits, like a pot of porridge, then they have the right to decide on your behalf. Where does the power of government, given it by the people, go when the government does contrary to its original uh, grant? Well, now, is the United States federal government doing contrary to its original grant? Now, we see it's seemingly taking away the rights of the people. And Like, I've got several articles up, some at newsofthews.com, like on the right to bear arms, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They're not really regulating your right to bear arms. They're regulating what you own, your possessions. The same as, you know, they can regulate all kinds of things that you think you own because you only have legal title to them because you're dealing in commerce. They're not taking away necessarily your right to bear arms. You, you're thinking outside of a box you are dwelling in. You're thinking it's still 1776 or 1793. It's not. You've got created all kinds of contractual obligations that give other people the right to decide what you're doing and what you're not doing. The solution is to seek that independent life in society whereby you are not making all these covenants and contracts and constitutions with people. But people have, you know, we have a whole series on the Constitution showing you that the this glorious Constitution that everybody thinks is so popular with Americans today, some Americans, was absolutely unpopular with Americans back in the 1790s. That was so unpopular, they would have voted it down. They would never have voted it into place. And we also show you that, biblically speaking, there are five basic precepts that you need to put in a constitution according to biblical uh, prerequisites, you know, stated in Deuteronomy 17, 16, I think it is. That you should put all five of these elements in your constitution and write it down and read it to your leaders every day. Only one of them. Only one of the five are in the Constitution of the United States. That's not a quorum in relationship. People, you know, like to draw pictures of, you know, Christ there in the, uh, in the room with the guys writing the Constitution. Christ knew those verses. He would have said, hey, you gotta put in these other four clauses. But he wasn't there. There were some decent guys there. Pretty nice guys. But, Again, the Constitution was to create a federal government for the states. You weren't a citizen of the United States. You were a citizen of your local states. Now, you're not only a citizen of the United States, you're actually all employees of the United States. So, your your employment, for instance, is regulated by the United States because of your contract with them. 
I mean, slavery is not legal in this country, right? But if you sign up with, and I'm going to pick a, a random team, I don't even know if it exists anymore, the L.A. Rams. And you're a, a player on the L.A. Rams, which is, a, I guess, a football team. <laughs> I'll show you how much I know about sports. Um, it used to be the Houston Oilers. I don't know if they still exist either. Uh, the, the Red Sox or the New York Yankees. There you go. The New York Yankees. You sign up with them and you have a contract. They can sell your contract to a Los Angeles team. And you got to go move to Los Angeles and play for them. Now you can say, oh, I don't want to do that anymore, but you get, you don't get, you're going to get stripped of all your money and you may even be fined because you didn't keep the terms of your contract. Contracts are powerful. Very powerful. And you're making them at the drop of a hat. And you can't just unmake them. You can say, well, I'm just going to break that contract. Lots of luck with that. <laughs> That's not going to work. Especially since your whole nation is into debt up to your ears. Now, I'm not going to say that the, the government are angels. But the problem that you can do something about is you. It's not the government. You can't change their heart without becoming a dictator yourself. Peaceful or unpeaceful, uh, Demonstration, or what was what was the term we used uh, at the beginning here? Nonviolent confrontation. <laughs> nonviolent confrontations have a tendency to become violent. That that's the the nonviolent confrontation is the first step towards violent confrontation. Now, what you need to do is repent and turn around and go the other way, because you don't know how to be in a free society. You need some practice. And you can start practicing while you're still in there. That's why Jesus said, pay Caesar. Be friends with the unrighteous mammon. For when it fails, you'll be suitable for more righteous habitation. But what you should be doing now is turning around and seeking the kingdom of God. And if you want to vote for your Ron Pauls and all that stuff, that's fine. But you need to be working on seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You need to be creating that society that the early church was creating that operated by faith, hope, and charity. And you need to start learning what it means to be a community of the people, for the people, and by the people that is operating by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. If you can't do that, you should not be free. And civil disobedience is of no value to you whatsoever. And we're going to get into some of the things, what, what some people may call civil disobedience and not civil disobedience. And I know there's some gray areas here. And I don't mind a little fudging and testing the waters. But you need to have the fundamental direction of where you're going correct. And not just cater to those people who want to go, yeah! You need to be bringing people to weep and cry the tears of repentance and be baptized in those tears and realize they have screwed up and gone the wrong way. And it's not nearly as much the government's fault as yours. Was it Saul's fault? Yeah, he was corrupted. But you should have never elected Saul. Power corrupts. Don't you know that? Why do you give men power? Because you don't want to take back your responsibilities. And if you don't, you're not going to be free. Government did not lose its authority or right to exist when it made a deal with the bankers. It didn't. You lost your rights when you made deals with the bankers. 
If this was such a Christian nation back then, what on earth was anybody dealing in Federal Reserve notes for anyway? What happened to just weights and measures? If Israel today was Israel of old, why does it have iron coin? Why does it have debt notes? Why does it have heavy progressive income tax? Why does it have property tax? That's usury. Those are all use taxes. That's usury. They're not Israel. They're, they're against Moses. Just as you are against Christ today by what you are doing. And if you were really Christians like the early Christians, you would not be doing these things. All these controversies we see coming up today. And we just finished our 22-hour series on Romans, the Epistle of Romans. And hopefully sometime this week we'll have that ready on DVD. You can download them all right now on on the Internet. But uh, just get a hold of the Living Network and uh, at our website, and somebody will show you where those links are. Um, but the point is, you need to turn around. You need to go the other way. God entrusted man with rights. That's... He is the author of our liberties. But man entrusted other men to make the choices over their rights. Make choices for them. You decide. You know, you Moses, you decide. You Saul, you protect us. We give you the power to be our commander in chief. That was called a rejection of God. Now, it's done. You've done it. You know, it's a done deal. When they did their rejection of God and Saul became power and then eventually David became the next power and then Solomon became the next power by Rehoboam, they said, give us back our freedom. He didn't do it. He didn't give them back their freedom. He chose not to. And they said, what is David to us? And they walked away from their inheritance. Now, you can do that. But that isn't where Christ started. Christ said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Moses didn't take people to the edge of the Egyptian desert and say, you're free. Run for it one at a time. Brought the people together in faith, hope, and charity. And if you're not working towards that, you're not working towards the freedom of the people. If you're just rabble-rousing the people to say, hey... Let's take our rights back. Without saying, you guys need to take your responsibilities back first. You need to become the welfare of your society first. You need to become health education and welfare of your society first. If that is not where you are starting, you are not starting with Christ. You are starting somewhere else. And you're just another rebel. For some, they think it is right to be like others that don't move past the Constitution, uh, the UN and the Agenda 21 and the New World Order, BS. You need to move past that. Constitution is not your salvation. Yeah, there's an Agenda 21. Yeah, there's a New World Order. Yeah, the Constitution does exist, and it did give power to government, but the people gave more power to government because they did not retain their rights, because they did not retain their responsibilities. You cannot be clinging to the idea that somehow or other the United States, under the Constitution, 
is not the government of Cain and Babylon and Rome and the civil law government of Rome. It is because of the nature of the people's desire to have a relationship with that government. They need to change or there will be no change. There will only be chaos. You don't even need civil disobedience. In the books, Contract, Covenants, and Constitution, we show you all this stuff and we detail it out. And I think there's eight to ten hours, eight hours at least on that, that in audios that where we go through chapter by chapter. The people failed to be the self-governing body that they were meant to be in the republic. They deny and disparage their own rights and liberties well, with the choices that they make. To obtain an illusion of wealth, Federal Reserve, legal title, benefits coming out your ears, those all false hopes of security. And they have actually brought their own children into bondage and their grandchildren into bondage, and they do so regularly. They worry about the federal government not balancing the budget. They know that the government is bankrupt, and yet they still want benefits. They still send their kids to public school. They still hope to collect Social Security. They're, they're willing to take all these benefits of a government they know is bankrupt because they see everybody, well, well, I paid in. Yeah, but it's bankrupt. There's no money in Social Security or anything. Liberty is not collective. It is personal. All liberty is individual liberty because we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights and the Creator did not create government. Men did. Freedom is the right to choose. I'm quoting other men here. The freedom is the right to choose, the right to create for oneself the alternatives of choice. Without the possibility of choice, And the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. You don't have a right to decide what you're going to contribute to the welfare of your society. We used to have that right. Now, someone else makes that choice for us. Because we ask men who exercise authority one over the other to be our benefactors. And to provide us with health care. Some of you are going to say, I didn't want health care. Public schools? How about that? Fire departments? How about that? Fire departments supported by property tax. Uh, Police? Supported by property tax. Other social programs supported by property tax. You are willing to take from your neighbor so that you could have those benefits. And you wonder about the Ninth and Tenth Amendment? Powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Powers, rights to choose. But you gave up those rights to choose when you decided to give government the right to choose to take away from your neighbors so that you could have benefits. Real liberty is never found in despotism, and that is a despotic act. Or in the extremes of democracy, which is nothing but 
despotism by the mob. I mean, the actual quote is, real liberty is never found in despotism or in the extremes of democracy. That's Benjamin Franklin. They probably didn't read that to you when you were in public school. And they probably didn't even give you a book that you could read it in when you were in public school. Because that just rings too much. Democracy's good now. It used to be bad. 1922 is bad. 1945, it's good. Proverbs tells you, 1224, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. That's exactly where you are at today. You are under tribute because you've been slothful in taking care of the needs of your society through faith, hope, and charity the way we used to do it, the way it made this country great. And this, but when we turned our back on that, and the churches are to blame more than anybody else, we were in a lot of trouble. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 28:15, it says, "But it shall." And we're going to read right on through that. So if you want to look that up, go ahead and look that up. We're going to do most of it after the break, but right now we'll just get into it a little bit. So you got time to go get that in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 28:15 is where we're starting. But it shall come to pass. If thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now we can sum up all his commandments and statutes in two laws. Love God with thy whole heart, mind, and soul. And love thy neighbor as thyself. If you don't do those, and I'm not talking about all the other things that you guys are going to start listing off all the mosaic statutes and all this stuff. We're talking about God's commandments and statutes and what that means. And we can go into a study of the Hebrew, find out what commandments means and what statutes means. And we do in other places, but we're not going to do all that. But he's telling you, if you won't do that, cursed shalt. Thou be in the city and the civil authorities. Cursed shalt thou be in the field in your whole society. He's telling you that if you're not going to listen to those basic laws of loving God, which is righteousness and truth, and the truth is you screwed up, and the righteousness is to take care of the needs of your society through faith, hope, and charity. If you're not doing that, then cursed shall be your city. Cursed shall shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. And those curses are coming like a freight train upon you. And there's nothing you can do to stop it except repent and go back to the ways of God that you have neglected so much. If we go on into verse 19, it says, Cursed shalt thou be when thou uh, comest in. Cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. So you... You come into this society and you'll be cursed if you escape, if you get out. 
If that's all you're focusing on is getting out and not getting into the kingdom and following the righteousness, you'll still be cursed. So, you've got to find out where you have to go and how you have to go there and you need to do it. But that's going to be your choice because I'm going to let you be at liberty to make that choice. And we'll talk about that choice when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about curses in Deuteronomy 28.15 that if you do not follow and observe His commandments and His statutes, uh, which I command thee this day, He says you'd be cursed. Uh, Cursed in your baskets, cursed in your stores, cursed in the fruits of your body, cursed in your land. Cursed in your kind, cursed in your flocks and your sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in or when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do until thou be destroyed and until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until ye have consumed, until he hath consumed thee from off of the land whether thou goest to possess it. But you're off the land already. You don't own it anymore. You don't own your land. You don't own yourself. You don't own your children. And you put them into debt. Not only that, but the foods that you're producing on the land now with the new GMO thing are going to be toxic, not only to you, but to the sheep and the flocks and the cattle. Cattle eating GMOs are showing 15 to 45% infertility rates. In some places where animals are turned in on GMO crops, they die. The same thing is happening with uh, uh, the people that consume these things. It's affecting gastrointestinal problems are rampant in this country. Cancers rampant. Epidemic in these countries compared to years ago. And your ministers in your churches are not waking you up to why this is going on. It has to do with intent and diet and everything. And they're sitting there telling you, don't worry, you're saved. Because you thought a thought. You thought you believed in Jesus and therefore you're saved. But that's not what Christ said. That's not what Paul said. Paul said you had to keep the commandments of God. And he lists them off. And we'll go through that. But anyway, back to Deuteronomy. Verse 20. Thou shalt send upon thee curses, vexations, and rebuke. I'm rebuking you. That's my job. (laughs) That's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. The Lord shall make pestilence cleave unto thee until he hath consumed thee from off of the land, whether thou goest to possess it. So you don't own your land anymore. You don't own yourself. You don't own your kids. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with a sword, which 
uh, an extreme. Uh, I think we had one of our buttons disconnected here. We're back on again. The Lord shall smite thee with consumption and with fever, with inflammation and with extreme burning, with swords and with blasting and with mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. We're in Deuteronomy 15, verse 22. And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron, and the Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust from heaven shalt it come upon thee until thou be destroyed. Boy, that sounds pretty bad curses. I don't know. It's going on and on with these bad curses that what's that going to be like? Well, it's like what's happening now. You think the problems are because government's doing something wrong, so you're going to change the attitude and mind of government? You think that you, that's what Christ's message was? That he said, okay, you guys got to elect a better leader? You got to be civilly disobedient? Yeah, we're going to get into exactly what it means to be civilly disobedient and what, what is not civilly disobedient so that you can stay Friends with the unrighteous mammon, but move more and more towards the righteousness that will set you free. The righteousness of Christ that will set you free. We're not going to just say believe and think a thought. We're going to say walk a walk. Turn around and walk in the direction of Christ. Like the prodigal son. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them, and flee seven ways before them, and thou shalt be removed unto all the kingdoms of the earth. You know, America don't win the wars no more. We just we just expand them for generation to generation. And thy carcass shall be meat unto the fowls of the earth, and unto the beasts of the earth, and no man shall fray them away. Was he, are you being consumed now? Are you meat to the earth? To the fowls of the air? And the beasts of the earth? You're in debt more than any other nation in the world. Per capita. It's unbelievable the debt. That, and they are devouring your wealth. You don't own your land. You don't own yourself. You don't own your future. and your, your children's future. This is all taking place right now. The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt and with the emrods and with the scab and with the itch and whereof thou canst not be healed. The botch of Egypt. You're in the bondage of Egypt now. In the bondage of Egypt, 20% of everything you earned had to go to the government. The government took care of the welfare needs of society. How's that working out for you now? Is that 20% now? And are they taking care of the welfare needs of your society? You know, they were withdrawing the welfare benefits. You know, you, you, you didn't get your straw anymore. That's what they're talking about. Leeks and onions and eating in the flesh pots. And we'll get into that. Of Egypt. That, they're all talking about socialism. Decrease of benefits. Still having to pay in. If you read our article on that 
not so secure socialism, you will see that the law is they they don't have to give you any benefits. That was the deal to begin with. You still have to pay in. The Lord shall smite thee with uh, madness and blindness and astonishment of the heart. You didn't know all this because you were smit with blindness because you were coveting your neighbor's goods. You started with the rich, but now you're coveting the middle class because you were slothful, because you sat and ate with a ruler with a great appetite. And so you've been blinded. Scales, you can't see. And now you're astonished at what I say. And your churches are just saying, don't worry, you're saved. Surely you will not die. God's saying you will die. And you will be cursed and cursed and cursed and cursed. And thou shalt grope at noonday, and the blind gropeth in darkness, and thou shalt not prosper in thy ways, and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save thee. Including men who are suggesting civil disobedience. Thou shalt betroth a wife, and another man shall lie with her. Thou shalt build a house, and thou shalt not dwell therein. Thou shalt plant a vineyard, and thou shalt not gather the grapes thereof. And we're down in verse 30 by now. But that's exactly what Samuel was telling you when you rejected God and elected a ruler who could exercise authority one over the other. Which is why Christ said you were not to be that way, but you were to take care of all the social welfare people, uh, uh, needs of your people, in pure religion, unspotted from the world, meaning the constitutional order and systems of government. You haven't done that in a hundred years. You have been against Christ for a hundred years and your churches have sat there building their crystal cathedrals, putting up their big screen TVs and singing songs instead of taking care of the needy of their society through faith, open charity. You need to learn how to do that again. Or you should not be free. Thine ox shall be slain before thine eyes, and thou shalt not eat thereof. Thine ass shall be violently taken away from before thy face, and shalt not be restored to thee. Thy sheep shall be given unto thine enemies, and thou shalt have none to rescue them. That's happening right now. The only thing that's keeping the the lumber industry afloat in America today is the fact that China's buying it all with the dollars that are going to be worthless. And there's nothing nobody's going to do anything about. I mean, how many times have you seen your government, I don't care what nation you live in, have you seen it pass things that nobody wanted, but they did it anyway? It's been going on for decades now. They're just stripping the carcass. But you're just skating along thinking everything is okay. It's getting worse and worse and worse, and you want them to balance the budget. Why don't you balance righteousness? The sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people, and thy eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine hand. The fruit of thy land and thy labors shall nations which thou knowest not eat up, and thou shalt be only oppressed and crushed always. Your children. I mean, there's many levels on which this prophecy has already come true. 
if your children are going off to public schools and and universities, I, I see kids go away and they're conservative and they come back and they're liberals. What happened? There's a, a mysterious thing that takes place, a collective consciousness, when you're surrounded by people that th- think a certain way, unless you are rooted in real faith through righteousness, they will be seduced away. Their minds will be taken away with these other thoughts. And that's what's happening. They're not your children. I mean, I for 30 years now, 20 years at least, 25 years, people have come to me because we at home taught our kids. And even our kids have been affected by this. But we, we're pointing it out, how they're affected by this thinking of others out there in the world. But they have to learn to not be affected by that. And the only way is to repent and start taking care of one another through faith, open charity. Stop seeking the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority and start becoming the benefactors of God who do not exercise authority. Start learning to give. Start learning to cast your bread upon the waters and take care of one another. Or there is no reason why you should be free. So that thou shalt be made mad for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. The Lord shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs and the sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. The Lord shall bring thee and thy king and thy king, which is not Jesus, which thou shalt set over thee unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known. And there shalt thou serve other gods, wood and stone. And thou shalt become an astonishment of proverbs and a byword amongst all nations, whither the Lord shall lead thee. Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather but little in, and thou, the locusts shall consume it. The bureaucrats shall consume it. All this, they're telling you what's going to happen if you didn't love thy neighbor as thyself, and you didn't. That's the problem. It's not the Federal Reserve. It's not the liberals. It's not the Democrats. It's not the socialists. It's you. You are not gathering together with other people to care for one another. To love one another. To be health education and welfare for one another. That's the problem. That's that's the only problem you need to be focusing on. Is that you don't really love to be a giver of life. You love to get life from others. You want to be angry at them as if it's their fault. And it's your fault. And you want to judge them. Instead of become and seek righteousness in all that you do. That's why we created the network. So that you could start to do that. You can start gathering together and form congregations of record. Why? Of records of testimony. It's not the paperwork. That's for the world. The testimony is that you're actually taking care of one another. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them. Thou shalt neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes. For the worms shall eat them up. Thou shalt have olive trees throughout all of the coast, and thou shalt not anoint thyself with the oil. 
for thine olive shall cast his fruit. In other words, it will become barren. Thou shalt, you will actually see this physically happening. You will actually see it physically happening with actual real olive trees and grape vineyards. But right now, we're talking about it as metaphors. Thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them. For they shall go into captivity, both in debt, mentally, spiritually. They'll belong to somebody else. Because you're not doing what Christ said, what Moses said, what God has said from the beginning. All thy trees and fruits of thy land shalt the locusts consume. The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee. In other words, there'll be foreigners ruling you and controlling you. That happened yet? That happened? Is that happening in your country? Is this prophecy not already come to pass? It's just going to get worse. Very high. Thou shalt, it goes to the foreigner, the stranger, will get very high over thee. Thou shalt come down very low. You'll be under their authority. Why? Because you don't love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. You would have seen all this coming if you really did that. You don't even know how to do that. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. Sound familiar? Why is all this coming about? He says it's going to come about. If you don't keep his statutes. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Not covet thy neighbor's goods. Not steal or or rob thy neighbor. Not kill. Or not have somebody else do the killing for you. Honor thy father and thy mother. That's what you do. Honor meaning fatten. Take care of thy father and thy mother. Provide for them. Build their house up. So that your families will be wealthy. But then don't forget about your neighbor. Like... Like Moses said, love thy neighbor as thyself, like Christ said. You're not doing that. Those are not just, it's not pew love. What I call stinky love. It's not sit in the pew and say, oh yeah, I love my neighbor. If he needs anything, he's got to go to the benefactors who exercise authority. But I love him. Bunk. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt lend, shalt not lend to him. Moreover, I, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall Pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. Now some people want to become legalists and start listing off 700 rules and you got to follow all these rules. No, this is the spirit of the law. The law is spirit. Paul tells you that. It actually tells you that in the Old Testament too. Thou shalt be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. In other words, the Eucharist of Christ, the Thanksgiving of Christ. That's how you serve God, by serving one another. God doesn't need your help, but your neighbor does. Therefore, Shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger, and in thirst, and in nakedness, in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke 
of iron upon thy neck until ye have dis, uh, he have destroyed thee. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth. Now, that's, a, that's actually a prophecy at this stage. Everything else is already happening. <laughs> that hasn't quite happened yet. But that will happen, and we'll show you that in other places at other times. Keep some things a mystery. The nation of fierce continents, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor uh, to the young. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. But you deserve it. And, and because you're a sinner. Because you're not doing righteousness. And all you have to do is gather together with the intention of starting to care about others as much as you care. All your depression and your need for depression drugs will all start disappearing. If you start laying down your life for others. Because you will be returning to the Father and then the Father can return to you. You're returning to the ways of the Father. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed. And also shalt not leave thee either corn, it all be GMO anyway, wine or oil or increase of thy kind. Now that's a repeat. He's repeating something that happened before. He already said this. Uh, the flocks of thy ke- uh, sheep until they have destroyed thee. But this is, a, this is a new curse. This is a part of the secondary level of this curse. Like I said, all this is, happens on many levels in prophecy. And, and you're already losing your children and, and they're being devoured. And we're going to show you some other unbelievable quotes. And we'll show you how this is affected right today. We're connecting the dots here so that it's not such a mystery. Some of you are going to still miss it. You may have to go over it. That's why we're making an audio too. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down. There's another place where it talks about all the walls falling down. Wherein thou, in, in another book of the Bible, which is what this is all about, uh, trustest throughout all thy land, and he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And thou shalt eat the fruits of thine own body. What's the fruit of your body? That's your children. The flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. You're going to eat their flesh. That's happening now. In the siege and in the straightness, wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee. So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil towards his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. Now, we'd have to go into the Hebrew for you to understand that, but I'll leave it in the metaphor so that you can wonder about it and pray about it. Because really, you have to be enlightened from within. I cannot give you the knowledge you need. You need to be given that knowledge from within your heart and within your mind spiritually. And it goes on in verse 55, so that he will not give to any of them the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he hath nothing left him in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee in all thy gates. In Jeremiah 19.9, 
we see, And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and they shall eat every one the flesh of his friend in the siege and straightness wherewith their enemies and they that seek their lives shall straighten them. That's what's happening. When you take the benefits from benefactors who have made you collateral and your children collateral and your children's children collateral, is you every time you take those benefits, you are eating of the flesh of your sons and daughters. You need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to start taking care of one another. And we'll talk about this and the cauldron of the city in Ezekiel 11.3 and 11.7 and Micah 3.3 3, when we return to the keys of the kingdom next time. Till then, peace on your house and God bless you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.